0: Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 tonight. And the title tonight is A Mind to Work, A Mind to Work. Chapter 3, as we looked at last week, dealt with building the walls. Here this evening, and for the next couple of chapters, we see the opposition that Nehemiah and the workers had to deal with in the building of the walls. And here we learn a lot about the opposition to building the wall and the effect that it has on the construction. Most of the opposition came from the Jews' enemies, but some of the opposition came from within the Jews. Like a lot of leaders, Nehemiah experienced opposition from the inside, from inside the camp. From his own people as well as outside the camp. But when the opposition comes from within, you know, it, it's more hurtful. It's more painful when those that you you, you thought or, or felt was with you and, and, and on your side, you know, become, you know, uh, hindrances. There's still a lot of opposition against building walls today. No joke intended, but, you know, you hear it on the news, you know, um, walls that we still need today. There are those who want, to, and here's the thing, there are those who want to make unity more important than doctrine. Get a hold of that. It's like the ecumenical movement. Can't we all just join churches, let's just give the, let's, let's take the best part of each church and make one big happy family. We can't do that not for the sake of peace not for the sake of compromise not for the sake of anything we have to do for the sake of Jesus Christ we have to hold up to doctrine many churches are opposing building walls that is of godly standards building godly standards in marriage and morals and other important standards which has to be led uh, which which has led to an ineffective watered down itchy ears christianity making society's opinions more accepting and and weakening and corrupting the church. And these next few chapters about the opposition against Nehemiah and his work show us many ways that Satan attacks so that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Those who diligently study God's word will learn Satan's tactics. And, and, And so it will be helpful to us in defeating the enemy. So let's begin now in chapter 4 with verse 1. And Nehemiah says, But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and he mocked the Jews. Why did Sanballat get so angry and make fun of God's work? Building the wall was a sign that Nehemiah was having a lot of success doing the work of God. And when had heard of this success, right away he started to mock and show a lot of hatred toward it. And here's the thing. When you're being fruitful in God's work, when, when, when you're being uh, prosperous and successful in God's work, it always brings opposition of some kind from God's enemies. And the more success that you're having in God's service, the greater the opposition is going to be from God's enemies because opposition from God's enemies come comes based on how much success you're having in service for God. If you're not doing anything, Satan won't kick a dead horse. He doesn't care. He'll leave you alone. The moment you start doing something for God and he sees the slightest bit of progress or the slightest bit of success, he's coming after you. And the greater the work, the greater opposition, the greater the enemy is going to harass you. If you're not experiencing much opposition, it might be because you're not doing much for God. G. Campbell Morgan said this, If you have no adversaries, you had better move out and find the places where you get them. Most people don't invite opposition, but the loyal servant of Christ will not run from it. On the other hand, there are times when ridicule for God's work and his service isn't because they're having success in the work. Sometimes those who are doing God's work bring disrespect upon themselves and God's work because the way they work is sloppy or they have bad manners or they don't pay their debts they have or they have foul mouths they're just plain hypocrites we can't let this be the reason we experience ridicule we need to live in such a way that when we are ridiculed it's because we're being successful in our life in our living for God, which was the case with Nehemiah here. His excellent character and work did not deserve, did not call for any ridicule. Now notice that Satan didn't wait long to start mocking the word of God. We saw it started back in chapter 2, verse 19. You see, Satan doesn't wait around until God's work has had a lot of success before he starts to attack. He starts as soon as any progress is made. Now, Sanballat... He wasn't mild or passive in his hatred. This was just just an annoyance to him. He just wasn't annoyed by what what Nehemiah and the Jews were doing and the work they were doing. It says he was furious and very indignant. The word furious here is translated from the Hebrew word wrath in the King James Version, which means to blaze up. He was blazing mad. The word indignant means rage. So Sandballot was in raging anger about what was taking place. How sad for a man to be in such a, a rage because God, God's work is prospering. But you see, that's what happens when sin controls our heart. We'll be angry with God. We'll be angry with his ways. And this anger in the end will lead to a terrible judgment if we don't repent. Sanballat's anger took over and controlled his rage against Nehemiah and the Jews when he heard about the progress that they were making on the building of the walls. And for, for, for Sanballat, it was like pouring gas on the fire of his already burning mockery. And it's really sad when, when men are ruled by their anger, when anger rules your life because when anger rules your life you'll do some terrible things solomon said in proverbs 29:22 an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression and that's why he Solomon said, "Who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city." Proverbs sixteen thirty two. Why? Because a man who has no rule over his own spirit—that is, a man who doesn't have self control—he's like a city with broken down walls. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. A city without bro- with broken down walls had no protection against the enemy. Those desert thieves would come, uh, you know, uh, looking around and what were they looking for? They were looking for a city that didn't have any protection, a city without walls. Hey, they were vulnerable. They could come in and have their way with the people, take what they wanted and and be done with it. And when we don't have walls and we don't have self-control, that kind of stuff, Satan knows the buttons to push and he can come in and have his way with us. Nehemiah was laughed at when he got to Jerusalem in chapter 2, verse 19. And here it comes again, but even worse this time. In chapter 3, this teaches us about how the enemy attacks us. It teaches us that even though one attack might fail, it will not be the last. Satan will not give up, nor will he automatically stop using the same tactic again. Satan is persistent. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he plans, he schemes, he strategizes, and he will attack over and over again in the same way and in the same area. Now, he especially likes to use the weapon of ridicule, which explains why he uses mockery more than once here. Contempt or hatred or scorn, whatever you want to call it, is a favorite weapon for a lot of reasons. Now, we're going to look at three big reasons why Contempt is a favorite weapon for Satan. First of all, you don't need any proof to hate somebody. To have contempt for something. Proof is not required. One reason contempt is a favorite weapon is that it doesn't need proof to attack somebody. To mock something, you don't need facts. And we see a lot of that going on today. There aren't any accusable facts against righteousness for the true works of God. Jesus was a great example. He was sinless. There was no fault in him. And yet they attacked him left and right and made accusations of the worst kind. But again, that doesn't stop the enemy from attacking. That is because one is righteous and because one is, it, it, you know, has no, no fault, no sin. That doesn't stop the enemy from attacking because you see, he can still attack by ridicule. All he has to do is start S- slandering you and ridiculing you. and guess what people will listen they'll believe it he can still ridicule at work even though there's no evil in it have you ever noticed that people will ridicule when they don't have a solid argument for what they're attacking when ridicule is obvious it usually shows that they don't have any facts for what they're saying they have no better comeback than than they're making fun of you just like here in our chapter tonight. So the enemy had to resort to ridicule because he didn't have any facts. He couldn't back up any of the accusations that he made. And without facts, it wouldn't do good in a court of law. They knew that they were battling the Persian government, not just Nehemiah. Because remember, Nehemiah got letters of of authority for the governors. uh, Nehemiah got a letter to give to Asaph of the king's forest to get the wood. Second reason that contempt is, is a favorite weapon of Satan is it hurts. It causes pain. It's another favorite weapon because it causes a lot of pain on those that Satan attacks. We'll see this in Nehemiah's Praetor later on. The pain of ridicule isn't hard for anybody to recognize Okay, who's experienced it before. Ridicule is embarrassing, and it causes people to stop doing a lot of things or things that they wanted to do. You know, you might give, tell somebody, "Oh, you know, I want to do this. And, you know, I, I really feel that I do this." And they go, "That's really dumb." And you know, you go, "Oh, well, you know." And then they go back and go, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. The pain that ridicule causes is so great that it can cause people to change their ways without being told or causing physical harm. People can handle, I mean, it's easier to handle physical harm than it is ridicule sometimes. And the third thing is pre-judgment. This is another favorite weapon of attack because it quickly influences others against the ones being attacked. Some, like I said a minute ago, somebody says something about you and the people around go, oh, yeah, and then they guess what? They form a judgment. And then they get on that side of the person who just made that judgment against you without any facts. That's why prejudging is another favorite weapon of Satan. It, help, it helps to influence others against the one being attacked. It helps to make the crowd of protesters bigger. Evil loves company. It wants more supporters. It wants to spread its wickedness. Sanballat would spread his wicked heart to all of those that would listen to him. Verse two. And Sanballat spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish? Stones that are burned? Notice the the, the ridicule, one thing after another. But what does it say? It says he spoke before his brethren. He was speaking to his friends around him. You see, he wanted to ridicule Nehemiah and the work that was being done so his friends around him would say, yeah, isn't that right? He wanted to get that support. He wanted the support of the government because it it makes evil look more respectful and acceptable. You talk about the Lord in our schools, and guess what? You'll have the ACLU there. The, religious from freedom, uh, the, relig- the freedom from religious group. You'll have other people like them in the court to stop the teaching of God's word. But if we want to stop the teaching of something corrupt in the schools, those same people will go to court and they'll say it's free speech. So they can go on and continue to spread their wickedness and their lies to corrupt man. Sanballat's way of spreading contempt was to ask some sarcastic questions about the work being done by Nehemiah. He was asking those that that, that he wanted to come to his side. He wanted them to agree with the the ridicule that he was making of Nehemiah and the work being done. So here's Sanballat, including uh, ridiculing Nehemiah's work and his workers by filling the ears of his friends with these sarcastic questions. First of all, notice he mocks the ability of the workers. These feeble Jews, notice, these feeble Jews. He belittled the workers. He was making fun of their ability to do anything of importance. And then in a roundabout way, he puts down their work. And by calling them feeble, he's suggesting, you know what? These guys can't do very much. Look at them. He has to make sure that nobody admires or thinks highly of Nehemiah. He doesn't want anybody to think that the Jews are an impressive bunch of people who can do great works. The one who ridicules is proud and can't stand for the other guy to be in the competition for his respect. But here's the thing. Think of it. If they were as feeble as he's trying to make them appear, why is he fussing about it? (laughs) Why is he worried about it? Why is he been all out of shape if these guys aren't, aren't... you know, uh, able to, to do the work. If what he's saying is true, that they're feeble, and, and what can they do? Why is, why is he worrying? Hey, Nothing will come of the work if it's true. But Sandballot attacks the few workers that were there. That's the second thing he does. He, first, he attacks the, the ability of the workers. The second thing he does, he attacks the few workers that were there. Notice he, the word fortify here. In verse 2, he says, will they fortify themselves? The word fortify here means to leave. In other words, will they leave the building of the fortified walls to themselves? I mean, will do, they do this on their own? He belittles the fact that they can build the walls all by themselves. This feeble bunch of people. And his question suggests that if he and his friends, Nehemiah, that if he of his friends, were able to help Nehemiah, then the Jews won't have uh, then the Jews would be able to be able to get the job done. Unless he and his friends help, Sam Ballot and his friends help, then the Jews aren't going to have enough people to get the job done. The third thing that, that Sam Ballot does, he ridiculed the faith of the workers. Notice it says next, will they offer sacrifices? This question attacked the Jews' faith. Sacrificing to God is how they showed their faith and their dependence upon God. So Sam Ballot ridicules their sacrificing in order to ridicule their faith. And his sarcastic question implies, will they pray and think God will help them? How many times have you heard that? You really think if you pray and you really think if you read the Bible, you're going to get any strength, you're going to get any help from that? Or, or 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 he's saying, will they worship God and think God will help them? The world will always ridicule and show great contempt for the value of your faith in God. Because they look at faith as something that, that, that just belongs, that, that's just an uneducated superstition. They ridicule the idea that prayer can help anyone and that the Bible is to be read and obeyed. But God's people should know better and shouldn't be scorned out of their faith by the ridicule of wicked men. The next thing uh, Ballad attacked was the fervency of the workers. Notice what he says next. Will they complete it in a day? He sarcastically seems to say that the workers' enthusiasm and dedication will build the wall in a day. What he's implying is that, oh man, they've gotten, they, they've bitten off more than they can chew. Oh, they're all caught up in, the, in what Nehemiah wants to do. They're all they're caught up in the enthusiasm and the excitement of building the walls. They're fired up for God. If a person is totally dedicated to God, the world always makes fun of our fervency in our faith. If a person is fired up for God, they're called what? A religious fanatic, a Jesus freak, a religious nut. They're not stable. They need help. But on the other hand, let somebody go to a sporting event. We see it on TV, especially the football games. They get out there and yell and act crazy They'll take off, the guys will take off their shirts in 20 degree weather, paint their bellies all up with all different colors or write the number of their favorite player. They'll color their hair. They'll wear cheese hats, no offense to the Packer fans, cheese hats, Viking helmets, I saw the Detroit Lions. They had the four guys were wearing lion costumes. Can you imagine going to the game, driving? You're, you're, You're not embarrassed to run around like that. Skull masks, shields and swords, waving big foam fingers in the air, swinging stuffed monkeys in the air. And the world says, oh, what a dedicated fan. But let a person get excited about God and his enthusiasm will be ridiculed. Oh, that person's gone off the deep end. That person's sick. That person needs help. The last attack by Sanballat was on the structure of the wall. Notice what he says at the end there. He says, will "Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned? So he's knocking the structure of the wall. The main building material around Jerusalem was limestone. And it can be really weakened by fire. So if that would be the case, it wouldn't make good. Uh, wouldn't be good for stru- uh, good material for construction. So his last sarcastic remark here is about the strength of the walls. So he he pokes fun of the quality of the material that they were using. In other words, he's saying to the, he's saying to his friends, "Look, man, these stones are trash. You know they've been burned in the fire. The workers have to restore them to their former strength." So he's hinting to his friends, it's impossible. So if they build the walls, those walls can't be very good. But if you keep track of what you read, because it's important. Go back quickly to chapter 1, verse 3 in in Nehemiah. Love that sound. (laughs) Chapter 1, 3. anybody there yet? What does it say in in verse 3? It said the walls were broken down and the gates were burned. It didn't say that the walls were burned down. See what a liar Satan is? The gates were burned down. The walls weren't burned down. So Sandballet lied. You see, you don't need facts to ridicule. All Sandballot needed was... All the enemy needs was an audience that was ready to listen. Listen, be a fact checker, people. When somebody tells you something, when they say, I heard. And most time when somebody says, I heard, the ears go whoop. They're ready to listen. Be a fact checker. Find out before you make a comment or join some crowd that what they've said is, a, is true or false. The Bible tells us that we need to get, to get our facts straight. And two or three witnesses, we need to, to find out if something said is true or something has happened or done is true. Because it's so easy, like I said, to, to, to ruin a person, to hurt a person, to tear them down, you know, if, if we just, you know, listen to what's heard and, and take it as truth. All right, let's look at verse three now, chapter four again. Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, the, the, it he will break down their stone wall. So now, Sam Ballot's buddy, Tobias, has to throw in his two cents. He joins in the ridicule. You see how it doesn't take very long to start gathering support? Hey, Sam Ballot, you know, if a fox walks upon these walls, it's going to fall down. Again, so many people are ready to jump in and ridicule God's work and God's people. But it was a dumb thing for Tobiah to say. But these are the kinds of things that you'll hear from an ungodly world. Just like when somebody gets saved, they'll say, it's just, they're just going through a phase It won't last long. Oh, they'll be back in the world. They'll be back doing the things they were doing before. Because, you see, the ungodly world looks at faith in Jesus Christ as some weak thing like they do at the worldly things that are weak. But our faith is not of this world. But, you see, Tobiah is going to learn that the walls will survive the foxes and the attacks, and the world is always learning that that true faith in Jesus Christ becomes a wall that even death can't tear down. Verses 4 and 5. Hear, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the buildings. I'm sorry, before the builders. So what does Nehemiah do about all this? Ob- uh, this opposition? He prays. Hear, O oh, our God. And then he pours out his heart. Meeting his problem with prayer. When, prayer. when problems come, prayer calms down your soul. It'll calm down your soul. It'll bring you comfort that you need. You might have to do other things besides pray when, when problems come, but you always pray. And you can always pray even if you can't do anything else. Now, we want to look at Nehemiah's prayer here. He starts his prayer with an expression of distress over being despised. The world has always despised God's people, and it's not easy to deal with at times. This was a a, a really tough experience for Nehemiah. It was a terrible experience for Nehemiah and the workers. And it could have uh, had a harmful effect on the work that they were doing because ridicule hurts. It can break a person's spirit. Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 14, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? From the New Living Translation. The human spirit can endure a sick body. It's, it's easier to deal with sickness at times than to be, than have our spirit crushed by things that people say about us. When the spirit of praise fills your heart, you can rise above the weakness of the body and the trials that you're dealing with. But when you lose that joy and your spirit is broken, then defeat is just around the corner. You see, the Christian can rejoice in the Lord no matter what their circumstances are. But if the line of communication, that is, if the line of communication isn't broken and the conscience is free, you can... can, Make it through uh, any circumstance. This will make even the weakest of men a conqueror. Rejoicing in the Lord, regardless of your circumstances. What this tells us, all of this tells us about the value of prayer in the same situation. When, when the flesh gets tired, when it get, grows weary and it gets weak under Satan's attack, go to God for strength to be, to, 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 to be unwavering when you're ridiculed. Nehemiah prays, praise, Lord, turn their reproach to their own heads. This is just another way of saying, whatever a man sows, he reaps. In other words, Lord, whatever they're doing to us, turn it back on to them. If you've mocked somebody uh, uh, sinfully, don't be surprised if the day comes when you'll be unjustly mocked. If you're vicious, viciously, If you viciously lied about somebody or others, don't be surprised if it happens to you. Those who mock will have their time, but one day, if they don't repent, they will be scorned forever. Nehemiah asked for the mockers to be captured and to be taken away into captivity because of their evil. Nehemiah wants these criminals to be arrested, and you know what? It's a right desire. Nehemiah prays that these mockers' sin will be revealed and not covered. May their sins not be blotted out. You see, men think that that they can hide their sin. Men think that nobody knows. But the Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Man might not know, but God knows. And it will be revealed. When God starts revealing your sin... There's nothing that won't be exposed, the Bible says. And men will do all kinds of crazy things to hide their sins. They'll do some horrible things to try to cover up their sins. Sometimes it works, using their cleverness or their money or their power, but in the end, their sin will eventually be found out. Nehemiah prayed that his enemies would receive God's judgment. Sin can be blotted out when men repent. And when they come to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to provide the way that a guilty sinner might be saved. But if a sinner refuses to come to Jesus Christ for deliverance from God's judgment, he will be judged. And he'll be judged for all eternity in hellfire. God's justice for our sins is a very serious matter. Sanballat and Tobiah made God angry with their mocking of the work. And we need to remember that when you sin, when I sin, we make God angry. God is a righteous God. He is a just judge. And Psalm 711 says God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day. You, You want anybody but God to be angry with you. But no matter how the builders felt. They worked well under the ridicule of their enemies. Look at verse 6 now as we close. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Too many times when opposition comes, people quit. They give up. But not Nehemiah and his fellow workers. They kept on working. They persisted in their work. He says, so we built the wall persistence, persistency stops the goal of the enemy. And the enemy's goal is to get us to quit. Either we keep, keep going and our persistency stops the goal of the enemy or we quit and the, and the enemy meets his goal, getting us to stop the work. To keep doing God's work, we may have to do the work when we don't feel like it. There are times when we don't feel like we can do the work or want to do the work. Ridicule and mockery stops so many people. But the persistent person will keep going even if they feel put down and despised. If you quit because somebody makes fun of you, you're not going to last long in anything. And you especially won't last long in serving God. Because nothing is so ridiculed and mocked as being a Christian and serving God today. It says here the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. You see, even though the workers were mocked, they succeeding in getting the wall completely joined together and halfway finished to the height that they're building it. They made great progress in spite of all other harassment they received. It says here, joined together. The words joined together really praises the great work that they did. It speaks of the dedication of everybody involved in the work. All the workers had to keep on going if the entire wall was going to get finished. They had to stay at it. They had to work together. And if some workers didn't do their part, parts of the wall would have had gaps in it. And that would have given the mockers just exactly what they needed to, to, to see in order to say see we told you so they couldn't finish it we told you they couldn't do the work but no part of the law up to this point was undone each man did what they were assigned to do so in closing progress is possible even in the midst of problems and this is encouraging to know That with God, we can make the progress in the work, even during times of trouble. We might be weak at times, but our God is not weak. And He can help us when things aren't going so well. The psalmist said in Psalm 46, 1 through 3 and verse 7, But God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Nehemiah said the people had a mind to work. They had the heart to work. So to have a mind to work means that the people had their heart in the work. Joshua 22 5 we read serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul Paul said in Colossians 3 23 and whatever you do do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men Having a mind to work was one of the important keys to the success of the people in building the wall Having a mind to work will keep you working no matter how hard the job might be and no matter how much opposition you might encounter Having a mind to work means you won't surrender to people who mock you. You won't surrender to mocking words. You won't surrender to hard times and and ridicule will not stop those who have a mind to work. One of the great things that we need to have in our society today is people who have a mind to work. In our society today, we have a whole lot of people who the government says officially are poor. They're officially poor poor they've got a new term for them chronically unsheltered doesn't that sound so acceptable they're chronically unsheltered they're officially poor nothing can be done for them but provide for them politicians are always talking about how we should give them more and more government handouts now there are legitimate people who have legitimate uh, reasons for being poor but not the majority the reason why a lot of people are poor is because they don't have a mind to work and this is what the bible tells us it's not a lack of compassion on our part the reason they don't work isn't because they lack the chance they lack the desire listen to proverbs 10 4 it says some people become poor because they're lazy he who has a slack hand becomes poor Proverbs 13.8 says some people are poor because they refuse good counsel. The poor does not hear rebuke. Proverbs 14.23 says some people are poor because they only talk about about working. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Proverbs 16.16 says some people are poor because they have wrong values. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs one five says some people are poor because of poor planning. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Proverbs 21.17 says some people are poor because they follow sinful ways. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Phil Robertson said this, When you talk like this, and you sound like this, and you're adamant about it, it's not that I have a lack of compassion. We, We have been so duped by this society, or many have. And where's the compassion? Where's the love? Where's the feeling? He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with somebody's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense, he says. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Michael Cohen, who has spoken here before from the, uh, the, the, the chosen people, the, the, the saved Jews, he said, I can love you in grace and truth, but not in compromise. Somebody said, to pity something means you will eventually tolerate it. The formula is pity, toleration, then embracing. The best thing we can do is stop giving the handouts and tell the people to get a mind to work. As I was coming to church this uh, this afternoon, or I was at lunch this afternoon, and they were talking about the homeless problem in Riverside. And they were talking to the mayor there, and he could not answer the questions that he was being asked by the interviewers. But the survey said 95% of the homeless out there, which is all over the place, did not want to work. They didn't want to, the shelters that they were making, they didn't want to go into the shelter because they had to abide by the rules. They had to live by standards. They couldn't do their drugs. They couldn't do their alcohol. They didn't want to to follow the, the laws of the land. They don't want to. So it's not a problem that, that, they, that can't be fixed a lot of the times. They don't want it. So we just keep handing out, handing out, and, and enable, just, you know, enabling them. Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, Paul said, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. You got, if that sounds harsh and critical, take it up with God. Nehemiah was able to build a great society and a great wall because the people had a mind to work. They wanted to work. And this principle still works today. In Genesis 2.15, when God made the Garden of Eden for Adam, he didn't hand Adam a fishing pole and a hunting rod. Hey, man, there's great fishing in this lake over here. You know, there's wonderful hunting back here over on on this side of the mountain. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. He put him to work. He had a, gave him a responsibility. And I finished with this quote from Dor- Dorothy L. Sayers. She said, Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. That was God's intent for us. But yet, this world is just is taking all of of god's word and 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 god's uh, intentions and they're just putting them down they're redefining them and society and culture and even the church is getting caught up in it dear heavenly father we come before you lord and we thank you so much for your word god and lord we thank you for your word god and and We are not compassionate, God. We are not hard-nosed, Father. But, Lord, Your Word makes it very clear, God, that we were created to work, God. We were created to be given responsibilities, Lord, and standards, God. And, Father, help us to not be moved by our emotions, Help us not to settle for unity yet compromise doctrine and law. And Lord, that's what's happened today. Emotions and pity has taken over sensibility and sound judgment. God, help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord. And help us to Meet the needs of others, God. Those that really honestly need God, our help. But help us not also to be taken for granted, God. There is a moral law. There is a set of standards that God has given us. And they're in your word. So, God, help us to live according to your word and not by worldly standards and feelings and emotions, Lord. And Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because maybe of the the ridicule that you've heard, the fun you've heard made about other Christians that you don't want to be a Christian, you don't want to be made fun of. You need to be what God wants you to be. He provided a way for you. A provision that your sins might be forgiven. That you might have a new life. A new start in life. That provision was the cross. Where Jesus Christ died for all man's sins. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And during this time, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we can pray together a simple prayer of faith.